Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I love Christmas, but what we do at Christmas fascinates me. <clears throat> On the one hand, there is some of the most compelling arts, music, paintings that human beings have ever created. You've got Handel's Messiah, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and this painting, The Adoration of the Shepherds. Or even if you don't like art, the painting is, is beautiful. You could stare at it for hours and notice uh, new, new elements that Jesus is born into the darkness. The cave where he's born is dark. Uh, the shepherd's clothing is, is tattered. It's the humble gathered to worship him. And so the, the birth of Jesus has captured some of the most beautiful depth of human creation, human arts. Um, on the other hand, <clears throat> Christmas is also one of our most superficial times of the year. We fight over televisions at Best Buy. We watch Hallmark Christmas movies that all have the same plot. Yes, the city woman is going to leave her job to marry the lumberjack from the small town. Uh, We teach our children songs like this. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Stuff your emotions, children. We do not want them. So how do you get from the, like the pinnacle of human experience and arts, pleased with man as man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, to a story about a man who drives a sleigh and plays with elves? Which is a line from one of my favorite Christmas songs as a kid moving up, or growing up, which was Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, which is just horrible that that's even a song. And so I love Christmas, but I have to be honest, we have changed what this season is from how Christians traditionally spent this season. For the longest time, Advent was the beginning of the Christian year. So Happy New Year to you. And they chose the beginning of the year around the birth of Christ at the darkest time of year. Because they believed Christmas begins in the dark. That's where Isaiah 9, one of the most famous Christmas texts we have, begins. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So why does Isaiah 9 start in the darkness? Why should Christmas start in uh, the dark? And, and I mean, let's start there. Isaiah 9, why are these people in darkness? What's going on? And we're told, verse 1, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of words to use to describe what's happening to them. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So it's gloom, there's anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he had glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. That There's gloom, there's anguish, there's darkness. That's where Isaiah 9 begins. And so that, that raises a couple of questions for us, which is, okay, who are these people in darkness? And we're told it's those who live in the lands of Zebulun and 
Neftali. And if that doesn't clear it up for you, let's throw up a map. Where is that? Uh, This is a map of Israel. You'll notice uh, the orange is Neftali and Zebulun is the purple. The red arrows are kind of pointing that direction. And so they were located in the northern part of Israel. And hopefully you can understand why it's the way of the sea. They're right by the Sea of Galilee. So northern Israel, Sea of Galilee, it's, it's, it's these are the people that were sold are in darkness. So why are they in darkness? What's happened to them? War and an invading army. See, at this day, there was a world power named Assyria. And Assyria was in threatening to invade all of the world, and especially this whole map. And so on the surface, Israel has no chance. Assyria is a world power. Israel is a small country with a small army. And now they're being threatened by Assyria. But Israel does have one thing in their favor. The Lord God. And so God goes to the king of Judah in that day, Ahaz. And he says to Ahaz, I'm going to protect you from Assyria. So here's what God comes to say to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a lot going on in these verses. And if you want to know the full context, we actually preached on this last January. Um, But here's the point for this morning. What matters for this morning? God offers Ahaz a sign that he will protect Ahaz from the coming Assyrian army. And Ahaz responds to God by saying, I would never ask a sign of you. Which sounds humble, but it's not. Ahaz has already built alliances with other countries to protect himself against Assyria. Something God had told him not to do. And so Ahaz, or God comes to Ahaz one last time to say, hey, do you want to trust me or do you want to trust your own path? And Ahaz, instead of just being honest uh, and saying, I just want to do it my own way, he actually quotes scripture back to God to be disobedient to God. I would never put the Lord to the test. (laughs) To which God says, you're doing that to me right now. You're wearing me out. So I'll give you a sign anyway. And then we get one of the most famous Christian verses. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's so much going on, but here's what matters. Why Zebulun and Naphtali are in the darkness. That because Ahaz does not want to partner with God to protect Judah and Israel from the incoming invasion, Assyria will invade. And Assyria comes in from the north. And who are the first countries they're going to come in, or first part of Israel they're going to come and invade? Zebulun and Naphtali. So why are they in darkness? Because their land has been invaded. Their world is at war. One morning they wake up and life is normal. The next, enemies are all around them doing violence against them. They're living in a world where terrorists will invade your land and threaten you with violence because they have more power than you. They're living under a completely failed political leadership who has no moral courage, 
only seeks to protect themselves and use their power for their own ends. Could you imagine living in such a place? They are in darkness. And Isaiah piles on the words here to to give us a sense of how bleak it was for Zebulun and Naphtali. I've already mentioned gloom and anguish, but verse 2, they're in darkness. But they're not just in darkness. The second half of verse 2, it's depending on your translation, it's, it's deep darkness. And that is just two Hebrew words put together, death and darkness. It's not just darkness, it's the death darkness. It's actually the word that's in Psalm 23:4, where we're told that God is shepherding the psalmist through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadow of death is, is an okay translation. It's, it's the valley of the death darkness. So Christmas begins in the death darkness. And that's where we live. That's this world. Even now, we look at our world and we have two major world wars. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Hamas's attack of Israel. How many of us look at our political leaders as people of great selfless courage who don't read the polls to determine their course of action, but deep moral conviction instead? Isaiah 9 is us. We live in the death darkness. And the reality is human beings cannot survive the darkness. And that's true in a lot of ways, but it's true literally. If the sun went away tomorrow and we had no light, this is what would happen to us. And just one day, the whole earth would go down to zero degrees. One day. In one year, the whole earth would be minus 100 degrees. And in less than a year, the earth would go from being teeming with life to being totally uninhabitable. If the sun went away tomorrow, photosynthesis would stop immediately, which means plants would stop producing oxygen for us which means we would soon suffocate. And if human beings, even if we found out how to build shelters very quickly that produced oxygen and heat to protect us from our new world, well, with no sun, we'd have no source of vitamin A or vitamin D, which means our bones would, would soon become brittle and be, be crushed. My point, we can't survive the darkness. We weren't meant to live like this. And one day, the sun won't exist. The sun is wearing out as we speak. And that's bad enough news, but I have worse news for you. It's not just the sun that's wearing out. You are wearing out. We're all wearing down. And to illustrate it, a few weeks ago I met, met a guy at a coffee shop. And standing in the line, within, within a couple of minutes talking to one another, we began talking about people we have lost, people we love that we know no, we are no longer with us. And it was because when he said, your name's Tim, is that short for Timothy. And I said, yes, but there's only one person who's called me Timothy through my whole life, and that was my grandma Spanberg. And I told him I missed her. She's been dead for a number of years. And then he said, and this guy probably in his mid-80s, he said, I miss my parents. We're all wearing down. We live in the death darkness. And so where is your darkness this Christmas? Where are you wearing down? That Christmas, or my preference for this season, Advent, does not look at you and say, you better not pout and you better not cry. No, we we begin in the darkness. Because for most of us, this this season is a mixed bag. 
The joy of the season goes alongside the loss of the season. And I wonder if, if part of why we've created such superficial stories at this time of year is so we don't deal with the darkness. We don't look at it. We try to avoid it. And the most famous Advent poet, W.H. Auden, he speaks to this in his poetry. And this is one of his poems. Faces along the bar. Cling to the average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood. Keep the music playing, because if you don't, we'll find out we're, we're lost. We're in the darkness. And for Christians, for centuries, Advent was a time we named the darkness. It's the beginning of a new year, and we wait in darkness for the light to come. So that's where we begin. Advent, Christmas, begins in the dark. But we don't start in the darkness to like dwell in it just for the sake of dwelling in it. We, we name the darkness because on us who walk in darkness, light has shone. The light has invaded our darkness. And Isaiah goes right there in verse 6. What is that light that's invaded our darkness? It's to us a child is born. But to the readers of the text of Israel initially, when they heard this, this would have felt a little underwhelming. One, this, this child is coming from Galilee, which may not mean much to you, but in that day, that's, that's Podunkville. That's nowhere. Like a child from Podunkville is going to take on Assyria. That makes no sense. But secondly, it is a child. It's not a warrior is given to us or an army is given to us. A child is given to us. Why? And once it connects us to Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. If you read through Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, child, a child is the heart of that, those three chapters, which shouldn't surprise us because the adults are all terrible. They're not doing it. So God's going to raise up a child to rule because the adults can't figure it out. But then the child is born. And what do we, what do we read about this child? Well, we're given four descriptions. The child is a wonderful counselor, which points to uh, he'll give good advice and he'll receive good advice. In contrast to Ahaz, who God himself says, let me lead you through. And Ahaz is like, I got my own plan. Thank you very much, God. Not that any of us would ever do that. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. A child. A child. Is mighty God. Everlasting Father. Ruling figures in this day were often called fathers, but not everlasting father, because eventually you died. You were father, but not everlasting father. Apparently this, this child is everlasting. And he is the prince of peace. To a nation or to a people who have been invaded, imagine having the announcement of a ruler of peace. So that's who this child is. A child and mighty God and everlasting father. A child who is both born, so he's human, but he's also mighty God. And this is the light of Christmas, the God-man, human being, who is God? Emmanuel, God with us. 
And if this is all true, and if what Isaiah is saying happens, it means a lot of things for us, but I want to name two this morning. The first being, if the God-man was born, we cannot have a superficial response to him. John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity, said, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find that people have basically one of three responses to Jesus. Response one is they try to kill him. They think he's a blasphemer. He's claiming to be God. He's the child God. He is born as human and as as God. So they have to kill him because they think he's a fraud and a liar. That's one response. A second response is they are terrified of him. They have no idea what to do with him. So there's the one moment where Jesus is in a town and he heals the man of demon possession and then puts the demons in the pigs and they all run into the the water. And Jesus says, or or the, the town says to Jesus, please leave. We don't know what to do with you. So people run from Jesus. Or the third thing is they worship him as God. They give their whole lives over to him. They, they devote their entire existence to him. But no one at any point has a superficial response to Jesus. No one sees Jesus and says, you know, if we like painted a picture of him as a baby, that would go really great with a, an update from our family from the last year to all of our friends that we'll mail out in December. No one has that response. It's either he is God and he... My entire devotion in life is owned to him, or he must be killed. I, he's, I'm terrified of him. And so many, of our culture, so many in our culture want to reduce Jesus down to a nice cultural piece, to a, an interesting teacher or figure, where we make him into what we want, someone we can control, someone who is nice. But if he's the God-man, we can't. You cannot have a superficial reaction to this. Either he's nothing or he's the very reason you get up every morning. Either he is a liar or he is the one to whom you, ho- you owe your highest devotion and love for the rest of your days. Because he's the everlasting father. The mighty God. The wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. You can't have a superficial response to that. So what has been your response to Jesus? Or what is your response to Jesus? So Christmas begins in um, the dark. So the first is, is, okay, we can't have a superficial response to him. Second is, he knows our darkness. Jesus knows our darkness because he's the God-man. The one of the most important questions you'll ever ask as, as a person is, is why there's so much darkness if there is a God? And Christians, ultimately, we have a unique answer to that question. And especially Christmas is the time where we highlight that unique answer to that question. But what do we see in Isaiah 9? God naming the darkness and where it is, Zebulun, Naphtali, the land by the sea. And then he, he goes to the darkness. The sun comes out of the land of darkness to bring light into the whole world. God doesn't just... Name your darkness. He actually goes into it. He knows it. Whatever your darkness is, he, he, he knows it from the inside. And this is the way uh, Dorothy Sayers put it. <clears throat> For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrow and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation... He's kept his own rules and played fair. 
He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life, the cramping restrictions of hard work, lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. So what is your darkness? It's a broken down family life. A Christmas table that won't include your whole family this year. We see Jesus living through conflict of his own family in the pages of the gospel. He knows what it's like to be at odds with people you once held dear. Is your darkness a job that has worn you out, worn you down? Jesus spent most of his life in a poor blue-collar community that lived at a subsistence level of poverty. He knew what it was like to work really hard and, to, and for it to be hard to make ends meet. Or is your darkness a loss of a family member, dear friend? Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He knows what it's like. It's not just that, hey, you're in darkness And one day God will rescue you out. He comes into our darkness. And out of the darkness, the light begins to shine. That's the story of Christmas. Jesus, the God-man, is the light in our darkness, the light invading our darkness. And yet, where Advent has us today is we are still waiting. The thing about this, Isaiah speaks these words around 730 B.C. But Jesus would not be born for another 700 years. So imagine you're living in Zebulun and Naphtali, and you hear the prophet of Isaiah say to you, hey, you who walk in darkness, a light will be born among you, a child, in 700 years. What would you do? You're actually, you're doing it right now. Because we're still waiting. The child was born, Jesus was born, and and everything that said about It's been said about this child. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, look at verse 7. Of the increase, or of the greatness increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His, His reign of peace will extend over all the earth. That's not happened yet. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. So it's an eternal kingdom of perfect justice and peace over all the earth. That hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting. 2,700 years after Isaiah 9 was spoken, we are still waiting for this government of peace, for the everlasting Father, for the wonderful Counselor, for the Prince of Peace to take up his reign over our world. We are waiting And it's why Christians have traditionally called this season Advent, which means arrival. But not just because he arrived, but because we still await his full arrival. We're living in the time in between. And that might cause you to ask, well, was Jesus really the Isaiah 9 child then? Was was he a failure? Well, Matthew tells us no. This, This is who Jesus was. Matthew 4, verse 13, we read in the Gospel. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Where is he? He's in Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, in the death darkness, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that raises the question, if Isaiah 9 is fulfilled by Jesus, why would God do it this way? Where we only get a glimpse and a piece before we get the full thing. Why would God make us wait 2,700 plus years and counting? Well, there's a moment in Cormac McCarthy's No Country for Old Men where the sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, is questioning this reality. He's speaking to a waitress in the book. And he mentions a friend of his that's 80 years old and has been waiting on God for 80 years, but God has not shown up yet. And this is what the sheriff says to the waitress. You think that a man that had waited 80 some odd years on God to come into his life, but you think he'd come. If he didn't, you'd still have to figure out that he knew what he was doing. I don't know what other description of God you could have. It's the quintessential Advent feeling. Waiting on God. And yet if God hasn't come yet, there must be a reason. And so let me try to give you at least one reason why maybe God's plan has been 2,700 years since Isaiah 9. But ultimately, God has come to bring light into the darkness. But the question becomes then, well, what is causing the darkness? What's, what's so dark among us? What's wrong with the world around us? And our gut answer is other people, which is not the Bible's answer to that question. The Bible's answer to that question is self-centeredness. Darkness is because there are billions of human beings living primarily for themselves, not for love of God or others or neighbor, not in self-sacrificial generosity to the world around us, but grabbing at the world around us to enhance ourselves. Which means I'm not just someone who's, who's dwelling in the death darkness, I contribute to the death darkness. And if Jesus came to eradicate all of that from existence, if Jesus came in and just said, okay, I'm getting rid of all of the darkness tomorrow, what would have happened to me or to you? That Jesus was not just coming to establish his kingdom. He was coming to save the darkness, to bring light into darkness, to make enemies his friends, to bring us into his kingdom of salvation. And so John, uh, theologian John Oswald, in, in commenting on this passage, writes that God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble. The only hope, in fact, of turning enmity into friendship. We're waiting because God's aim is to make the darkness light. To save you. To bring you into his kingdom. And so what a good God whose primary aim is, is not just his kingdom without end, although that will come. But it's that his kingdom without end might be full of us who once lived in the darkness. But that doesn't mean we're still waiting we are still waiting, and waiting is difficult. Unless 
You're meditating also thinking about what is coming. Waiting is not difficult when what you're waiting on is good enough. To illustrate, when I turned 16, Indiana had a law on the books that in order to get your driver's license, you had to wait one month and one day after your birthday to get your driver's license. What a cruel person that added that one day. Like what about 16 months, 16 years, one month, and one day? It's like, oh, now we're okay with you driving. I don't understand this. But here's, here's what happened to me. So my birthday's at the end of May, which meant July 1st uh, was my, my plus one day I had to wait. So then that meant July 2nd is when I was going to get my license. Well, that was a Friday, July 4th weekend, which meant the DMV was close. So I had to wait my one day plus Friday plus Saturday, plus Sunday. In my mind, I want to think that Monday it was closed too, just to embellish. I don't really know. But I know at least I waited three extra days to get my driver's license. But I waited with great anticipation because I knew the coming joy of being able to drive and do whatever I wanted, wherever I wanted, as long as my parents said yes, <laughs> to having my license. So those three days went by pretty fast. And if you're waiting on God, we are to, to meditate on what we're waiting for. A kingdom and government with no end to peace that covers the whole world. That's perfect justice and righteousness that will last for eternity. Meditate on that coming kingdom. That's what Advent is about. He's coming Again, and so we live for that day when we will meet the child born to us, the light that has invaded our darkness. And so that is the season we are in, Advent. We do not run from or fear the darkness. We name it because we who dwell in the valley of the shadow of death, the death darkness, we know all too well the death darkness, but we also know we have a shepherd who has entered the valley of the shadow of death to guide us home. But to those of us living in darkness, on us a light has shown. So let me pray for us. Father, now, as we, as we prepare to sing, I pray your light through your Holy Spirit would shine on us. I've spoken a lot of words. We've had kids sing really cute words. None of that can be made real unless your Spirit fills this place and makes real the truth that those who, who live in darkness on us, light has shone. So Spirit, make the light shine, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.